So we are going to be jumping into John chapter 20 this morning. And we're going to read the resurrection narrative from this gospel. So beginning with verse 1, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where. They have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other uh, disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but, uh, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must, be, uh, must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus uh, had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are, whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So, babe, guess what I forgot again? <laughs> I always put my sermon notes down in a little gray notebook, and this is the second time in two or three weeks that I forgot to bring it into the pulpit with me. So, uh, so anyway, I just want to say this this morning. We have been studying this Gospel of John now for, I don't even know when we began. It's been way over a year. And so we've been gradually working our way through the Gospel of John up to these texts and kind of working things out so that we wound up this morning where we are with the resurrection story. So it hasn't been easy for me to do that, uh, but we have managed to do it pretty well, I think. Uh, but... What I want to say to us this morning is, if you've been a Christian for just a year or two, or maybe for 50 years, or maybe longer than that, you're familiar with the resurrection story, and we've heard it over and over and over again. And it's so easy for us, being the people that we are, for things to kind of become rote. You know, you hear something so many times, 
You get so familiar with it that you don't really think too much about it in the kind of depth and detail that it really deserves for us to treat it with. So what we've actually done over the last few months is we've been studying all of these texts that lead directly up to the resurrection story. So for us that have been here for uh, the duration of that, this is kind of the culmination of something that has been building now for several months. And I don't know about you, but for me, this has been a very special Easter season leading up into this morning. And, and I felt and heard the Lord speaking to me in ways that I haven't in the past, perhaps. And that sort of thing. And I'm hoping that the rest of you or many of you have had that same kind of experience. But it's just it's so easy for us to skip through this because we've heard it so many times without it having the same kind of depth and impact upon us individually as maybe it has in the past. So I'm hoping and I'm praying that this won't just become another rote Easter for you, but it would be that God this morning would speak to us in a way that maybe we have never felt it and never heard God speak to us uh, before. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me uh, this morning. But we know this, that, uh, that even though we have four Gospels, all the material in them is not identical. And, and, and you're going to find particular events mentioned in one that is not mentioned in maybe the others or some of the others uh, and that sort of thing. Very often, there's, there, every Gospel, there is material that's somewhat unique to it. And so we have the advantage of having four Gospels, not just one Gospel, because having the four granted to us, joined together, it enables us to understand things in a much greater detail than we would be able to do uh, without it. On the first day of the week, just remember that John is writing to a Jewish audience. And the first day of the week for them was Sunday. And Saturday was the Sabbath. Now, I am getting to be very forgetful about particular things and that sort of thing, but I do believe today is Sunday. <laughs> if I'm wrong, correct me. But we're here today on the Christian Sabbath, not on Saturday. We don't understand the details why or exactly how it took place, but we do know this, that the church shifted early, very early on in its history. And the reason for that is this, is because the resurrection was so key, the resurrection was so important that the church saw that as being the principal and primary day of worshiping God. As we studied through the Gospel of John, we know that Mary Magdalene is not new to the picture. She's been here now for some time. We know that early on in his ministry, Jesus had cast an evil spirit from her. 
other than the last few days or, or the very end of the days of, of, of Jesus' physical life in this world. We know almost nothing else about her, but she became a very key figure here in these last moments of Christ's time here on earth. Most recently, remember that uh, a couple of things, and one of those is that she was one of those who stood very near the cross of Jesus. He, she was there with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and some other people. She heard what Jesus had to say. She was close enough. The Apostle John was there as well, and Jesus actually had a conversation with him, and he was standing right there with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, and another Mary. So why is this story about Mary Magdalene so important? Because she was one of those very close eyewitnesses of the death of Jesus. We know this, that there have been people that have, have tried to sow doubt into the minds of people for the last generations uh, that Jesus was actually the Son of God and all of these things actually, that Jesus was actually resurrected from the dead. That has been under attack by people, that whole concept for, for 2,000 years now. And we can understand why, right? Because we know that generally speaking, people that die don't resurrect from the dead. Have you ever known anyone in your whole lifetime that has died and been resurrected? Have you ever heard of anybody in your lifetime that you had reason that it was a credible witness that had died and resurrected from the dead in just a few days? This story is absolutely phenomenal. And if it's just something that's been fabricated by a man, it's still a good story. Probably sell a lot of a lot of copies of the book, maybe make the bestseller list, maybe be the number one bestseller. A story of a man who was died and died horribly and then was resurrected from the dead a few days after that. The world does not believe that this is a true story. It believes that it is fictitious. The world has tried to do everything it can to destroy it, to undercut it, to discredit it for the last 2,000 years. You and I are here this morning. Because we not only believe it's true, we in fact know it's true. And we have staked our life on that simple fact. Mary Magdalene, Magdalene was from Magdala, which was a little town not too far in Galilee from where Jesus grew up. Also, we've studied just within the last couple of weeks that Mary Magdalene was one of those two Marys who had watched as Joseph and, of Arimathea and Nicodemus had, prepared the had claimed the body of Jesus, had prepared the body of Jesus, had laid the body in the tomb and sealed the stone over the tomb's entrance. 
And again, she was one of those few people that was standing close enough to the cross to know that Jesus was truly dead. As we said before, we've all seen the look of death. When you see a dead person, you know that something's gone. She knew that Jesus had died. There was no doubt in her mind at all. But she had watched these two men prepare the body of Jesus and then entomb it. She did not go there on Easter morning hoping to find an empty tomb. She did not go there on Easter morning hoping to find Jesus alive. She knew that he was dead. She didn't come by herself. I think sometimes when we read this particular narrative from John that we conclude that she was all by herself, but she wasn't because we, we, we can glean from this and something that she says when she, she, she makes mention of it. She says, we went to the tomb. So when we went to the tomb, we know that she was not alone. Even though the other people are not mentioned here, they are mentioned in the other Gospels. Mary Magdalene was accompanied by Mary, the mother of James, and a woman named Salome. We know that. And John just verifies it. Now, those two women are not mentioned here. The focus is exclusively on Mary Magdalene. But Mary Magdalene testifies to the fact that when she went to the tomb, she was not by herself. And we understand this, that very often, we, maybe one person is a credible witness. There may be people that you know, that you trust enough, if they told you anything, you would believe them and you would not have one doubt about it. But we do know this, that it's very helpful for us, being distrusting as we are very often, for there to be multiple witnesses of particular things. It helps us believe it to be true. But John only mentions Mary Magdalene, and it's because his focus is on her. On what she did, and what she saw, and what she heard, and how she responded to it. Mary Magdalene immediately runs to find Peter and John when she finds the tomb and the others that are with her find the tomb empty. Now let me ask you something. When was the last time you ran anywhere? Probably not very Close. Probably a long time ago, since most of us have run like Mary runs. We're spoiled because we would have jumped in our car or truck and driven back, right? But can you imagine being so surprised by something, 
so amazed by something. And at this point, she was confused as to what was really going on. The only thing she knew at this point was the tomb was empty. And her assumption was someone took the body of Jesus. For what reason? She doesn't even know. Adrenaline is pumping through her veins. <laughs> and so she runs to the people she knows need to hear this. Those people perhaps she knows would most of all want to hear this news. As we said before, we have the advantage of having all the Gospels, not just John, but the other three. This is what Paul writes some years later. I mean, we're not dependent upon one or two people testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. This is what Paul writes. And Paul came later on down the road. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, the twelve. More than 500 brothers. Most who are still alive. He also appeared to James, who we assume it was his brother James, all the apostles, and last of all, to guess who? Little old me, Paul. Now let me ask you something. How willing would you be able to believe something that one person told you? Would you be more inclined to believe it if two people told you the same thing? What about 500? And what about the testimony of every Christian for the last 2,000 years? People who did not see it, they did not hear it, etc., etc., etc. But they believe it to be true. They, in fact, know it to be true. They have staked their own existence and life on the veracity of that one particular truth. That Jesus died, but Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Can you imagine these grown men running? Really, seriously, what would it take to get you into high gear today. You know, you might hear something pretty exciting or whatever, and you might walk a little faster than normal, but it's going to take something super-duper special to get you to run. But they run all the way there, and it's like they're having a foot race. You need to understand this. One's trying to outrun the other one. Huh? <laughs> John and Peter running.
And just remember this, that this, this, this whole thing has probably a little bit more to, to do with Peter here than it does with John. Because you know, just within the last few days, Peter has denied Jesus three times. Maybe what's going through his mind, aha, I'll have the opportunity to explain myself. <laughs> you know how good we are at trying to explain away those things that we do sometimes. Maybe that's what's going through Peter's mind. I'm going to have the chance to explain it away and I'll feel better about things. But remember this, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I just feel plain boneheaded. It's like I have to be taught the same thing over and over again. I have to be told the same thing over and over again. And every time you think it sinks in, the next thing you know it's seeped out again. I mean, Jesus has told these guys what was going to happen. And it doesn't even seem to surface. At his death, they were distraught. The situation was absolutely hopeless. It was the end of all ends. But the fact of the matter is Jesus had been telling these guys all along what was going to happen. It wasn't new news. Relatively early on in the ministry of Jesus, we read this from Matthew chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. From the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Boneheads. I mean, how many times have you got to tell somebody something before it sinks in? It's like with these guys, that just doesn't even register at this point. They really believe that Jesus is dead and gone and it's the end of everything. None of them believe it's really the beginning of far more and far greater. That upper room, Jesus told them point blank what was going to unfold. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall, what? This shall never, ever, 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 ever happen to you. And what Jesus said to him probably got his attention at least for a moment, obviously not long term, but at least for a moment, I'm sure that it probably did. When Peter had said that to Jesus, Jesus said this to him. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. 
For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. You know, we spoke a little bit about the swoon theory a few weeks ago. This, this idea, it's been going on ever since Jesus rose from the dead. We need to understand there have been people that are spinning stories and, and that sort of thing. But it all comes down to this. Is, you know, people will say that you know, Jesus looked like he was dead. People thought he was dead. But you know, we know he really wasn't dead because dead people don't rise from the dead. So, so we know that he just really never did die. That's what's called the swoon theory. It's something that's passed around among people today, even, just different variety of it maybe than what has been in the past and that sort of thing. The first thoughts of Mary and of the disciples is that someone has stolen the body of Jesus. They don't, you know, the whole thing, concept of the possibility of a resurrection doesn't even enter into the picture. Their, their conclusion, their assumption is the body of Jesus has been stolen. Somebody took it. None of what's happened should have surprised those two disciples, but it does. They go there and they see the grave clothes and they're arranged. They're not just scattered all through the tomb, you know. They're, they're there, you know. It's not like whoever took the body took the grave clothes with it. Let me ask you something. If you were stealing a body, do you think you would take the time to take all the grave clothes off of it, the linen wrappings and all that other stuff off the body and fold them up neatly and lay them there before you took off with the body. I would imagine that if you ever found yourself in that position, which I doubt anybody in here ever would, that you would just grab the body and run. Period. Take the least amount of time you possibly had to to do the dirty deed. But even when John and Peter see this stuff, they see the empty tomb, they see the wrappings, it doesn't compute. They're not sure what to do with all of it. But we read in verse 9 here, as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Psalm 16, verse 10, For you will not let your Holy One see corruption. All of this was fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Every detail of it. We've seen that as we've gone through the Passion Week of Christ. All the things that were prophesied about all the different aspects of everything that happened during that week fulfilled in Christ. So much so, you would have to be crazy to believe that it applies to anybody else other than him. Well, maybe we don't know a whole lot 
But apart from the resurrection story, you and I would know one thing about dead people, and that is they stay dead. Period. No exceptions. They leave. Peter and John leave. Mary lingers near the tomb. That time she sees two angels sitting, and they say to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they laid him. Resurrection, still not on Mary's, in Mary's picture. But having said that, she turns around, and Jesus is standing there. Now, you can understand the confusion that she apparently experiences at this point because her brain is telling her one thing and her heart is telling her something different. She concludes that this person is the gardener. And she even asks him a question. What did you do with the body of Christ or Jesus? It doesn't register to, with her that this is actually Jesus who's talking to her. Now, does he look different? Is there something about him that, you know, just makes him like a totally different person or uh, something like that? I don't think that's true at all. I think it's because for her to conclude that this is Jesus would mean for her to throw out everything in life that she's experienced up to this point. Because she didn't know a lot about a lot of things, but she did know one thing, and that is dead people are dead, and they don't lie, live again after that. They're dead as a doornail. End of story. So you can understand her brain may be playing a little some tricks on her there because she's seeing something that just can't be true. It can't be real. Lori and I, one time, you know, it's, it's amazing how sometimes phenomenal things happen to you in your lifetime. Things that seem, seemingly are impossible. Lori and I were in the mountains of North Carolina one year for Christmas or Thanksgiving or something like that. And we went by the, uh, uh, that restaurant that's, uh, oh gosh, what's the name of that little town? What's the name of it? What's the restaurant? The, the what house? Dillard House. We always eat at the Dillard House restaurant whenever we go there. When I was a kid, we went there and stayed there for two weeks one time. And, you know, if you've never eaten there, don't eat for a week before you go. <laughs> because they give you more food, and it's country food, you know, and, and they have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and, uh, and, and whatever. But Lori and I were there on an anniversary trip, I think it was, in, in Dillard, Georgia, which is right at the Georgia-North Carolina state line, literally hundreds of miles from here. And we walked into the dining room, and we bumped into two of our best friends who lived in Crystal River and went to the church with us in Crystal River when we were there. 
My first thought was this. Boy, that sure looks like Kelly and Victor, but it can't be them. <laughs> it's just people that must look a lot like them. Because what is the likelihood or the probability or possibility that they and us would be in the same place so far away at the same exact time? It did turn out to be them, actually. So that's a true story, and you probably, all of you have had something experienced like that in your lifetime. Things that are seemingly impossible. And the first thing your brain does is try to explain <laughs> what's going on away, because it just can't be. She thinks he's the gardener. But at some point, it hits her that she really is seeing and hearing Jesus resurrected from the dead. Now it's her turn to run. As we consider this story yet another time, it is quite a remarkable story. It's not just a story. It's a true story. And even today, after we've been over this so many times over the years, it is still very remarkable to us. But I would say to you this morning that there is something else that is almost equally remarkable. And that is that you and I believe it. That we believe this is God's truth. Now we believe all kinds of things based upon historical records, right? Everything you believe about ancient history, you believe because it was written down somewhere or pictures were painted about something. Do you understand this? Have you ever thought about this? That if not for something else going on here, that it would be ridiculous for you and I to believe what we believe? Maybe even insane? Certainly laughable? It takes more than just an acceptance of the veracity of these stories. It requires us to place our hope and faith and trust in this resurrected one. Two thousand years ago, it's a long time.
You ever wonder why you believe it? You didn't see it. You didn't hear it. It's easy to believe that a particular war took place at a certain time in history, right? Just because it's all written down. But this is really phenomenal. This is, this, this is unbelievable stuff, looking at it strictly from a human perspective. But here we are 2,000 years ago, and we not only believe it, we have staked our life on it. Why? We haven't seen him with our own eyes. We haven't heard him with our own ears. And yet we have staked everything on it. Everything on him. It's because of what we call the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. That it's the Holy Spirit moving within us that verifies and validates the truth and reality of this. That Holy Spirit who causes us to be born again. What I'm telling you is you believe it today for one reason, and that is because God has enlightened your spirit to the truth and veracity of this. A part which you would look upon people like us looking from the outside and maybe laugh to yourself. Thinking, how can reasonable, intelligent people believe such things as this? Of what sounds very much like a fairy tale, by the way. Let me tell you, if you believe it, you believe it for one reason. That's because the Holy Spirit's enlightened you to the truth, and you can't deny what you know to be true. Well, I could go on and on and on. But when confronted with Jesus, everyone has to do something with him. Everyone has to do something with this Jesus. Some people have concluded that he was a liar. Others that he was a lunatic. The only other possibility is he's actually the Lord. You believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I hope and pray that you do. And let me tell you, if you do, you only do because God has enlightened you to that reality. He has caused you to be born again. You cannot cause yourself to be born again. The Holy Spirit must cause you to be born again. 
You are here this morning because God has given you the greatest gift of all, and that is salvation in Christ Jesus. He did it. For you. All of it. For you. I could go on. But I'll say amen.